Hello, and welcome to Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball, and today's guest, Charles Freiburg, is a King's Cross poet and playwright. In the 1990s, he worked as an actor and director, especially with the surreal clown, Victor Sheehan, his first poetic mentor. And we'll maybe talk a bit more about Victor later. Uh, his own writing began with his performance art, staged at Club Bent at the performance space in the late 90s, and also with a number of plays. He studied poetry at postgraduate level at the University of Sydney, supervised by Judith Beveridge. He performs his work widely around Sydney and, uh, in fact, has just done two fabulous performances for his second poetry book, Crumbling Mansions, which he is here to talk about today. Charles, welcome. Uh, thanks, thanks, Magdalena. Oh, look, I, I mean, I, can't, I, I always think poems are just these um, pieces of energy that you just try to find and conjure image by image until suddenly it's a piece of energy that becomes quite compelling. But I look back into the past and find these wonderful energetic moments of transformation from my past. And they quite often are caused by a person like Victor because um, I was a shy North Shore law student that was um, a little bored with the idea of becoming a lawyer. I needed someone to distract me from that, pull me out of it. And um, so, so, so he did. So marvelously with his incredible imagination, with his passion for all sorts of literature that we weren't studying at university like Beckett and Rambo, and we sit and we chat and we drink and there was, times of excess and the relationship became quite manipulative at times and ugly and then you ask yourself hey with all that was it all worthwhile because it's a real two real complex people here and yet i transformed for better or worse i transformed from what i was into something more creative more jaded more aware of my surroundings. I could look at my city in a creative and imaginative way rather than just accepting things or letting it all go by. And then, because the city's changed so much, I look back and I conjure the images of the past. And in the poems, the images of the past give me so much energy. Mm. And I love that whole notion of, of a poem as a, you know, as a packet of energy, if you like, um, with so much potential. Yes, I definitely Yeah, and, and um, you know, I'm gl glad you jumped straight into Victor, so, because um, I feel your work is peopled with, with these characters. Uh, you know, we could call them eccentrics or quirky, but I think they're more than that. I mean, to my mind, they're, they're really richly complex, as you say, with, you know, with all of that um, complexity, the love and the manipulation and the pain and the loss of them and and their presence and their you know the the uh, the, the the power they exert as ghosts as well. Um, they and they're both loving Absolutely. portraits of real people, but also maybe aspects of yourself as well, of fictionalized facets, if you like, that become whole in the body of the poem. Exactly. It's um, it's um, inevitably well. Inevitably, the memory needs and is subjective and and um, highlights aspects of yourself. And I mean, it's the same with my parallel nature poems, 
because they're little pockets of energy of what happens when you observe nature in its, um, again, in its energy and complexity. But then when you mourn the fact of the droughts and the bushfires and the climate change we're going through, and yet nature survives and regenerates despite all of this, for now, anyway. Yes. And it's very, it's very similar to the people who um, go through their highs and lows and then pass from your life and you have to, standing outside it all, you find, again, the energies that, that's made you who you are, you know, different and distinct. And, um, and you just give thanks. And so in writing the poem, you're conjuring them back. You're just finding this pool of energy that they were for you. And you conjure it. And, um, and performance is important to me too. So when you perform it, you're almost channeling the other person. The other person mm -hmm. channels right through you. And it's an amazing feeling when you're performing it. I'm just fresh from doing two quite extensive performances. Mm -hmm. which were amazing to feel. I'm still reeling from what it's like to conjure the people and nature and, and to give them to an audience, to share all of that with an audience. And you can do it through the book or through the performances. Now the performances are gone. There's the book. <laughs> and, and the book is a wonderful way to conjure these people and times and the world we live in now and the world we used to live in you know absolutely and I, I want to talk to you about the nature poems and I want to talk to you about performance as well so but just before we leave Victor could I ask you to delve right on in and and actually read the poem to Victor the only copies 13. of your plays yeah to Victor yeah, it's, uh, it's page yeah. 13, if that helps. Yeah, yeah, oh, look, I, I, it was part of the show, so I know it off by heart. To Victor, the only copies of your plays are sitting in a folder. I'm frightened to read them. They're relics in an ancient typeface. I'm still prickled by the broken shards of your spontaneity, the caress and jab of your irony, your voice is tangled in mine, enlivening my own work, waiting on the desk. Years ago, I scattered your ashes, scattered fantasies whispering sharply in me now. Hmm. That's such a, a beautiful demonstration of what you've just been talking about. Hmm. Hmm. There's um. There's um, a couple of others that really went well at the show. Mm. And so do you want me to give you a couple more? Sure, sure. Why don't you do a few more? Hmm. I'm half a coddled schoolboy. My legs now down with hair in a jumper knitted by my mother. It shrouds my body, concealing my sex. I cannot remove it. A blemish on the mirror cuts my body in two. Above, sunlight on my glasses, the smoke from my lips is dazzling. The stain uncoils to flex, jostling red and blue like 
makeup smoothing over the pimple scars on my face. My body is luminous, a shadow with a shining corona. I am changed until the sun is swallowed by a cloud. The breeze blows in the window. I am a bespectacled boy in a dirty jumper with no trousers, smoking a cigarette, looking for some hidden wonder in my oh-so-familiar face. Mm. And it goes on to, a cold sweat on the lawn glistens green in thickening shadows. Splintering bark of a tree trunk pierces the fabric of my shirt putrid with half-chewed lumps of vomit. The scar of a locked-off branch grins at me like a gargoyle. I wave back as it spins. Streetlights reach for the clouds, layers of swirling grayness reaching to the pitch above. Is this the emptiness and nothing inside me? The stars are braided in scorch ribbons. Traffic rumbles like the riff of a bass guitar. My my muscles flex as I shift my twist, twisted legs, but the texture of my chest beneath my unbuttoned shirt is sweet. I caress myself. A stammering boy peels off his clothes, the warmth of his body questioning, do I dare to stare into swelling pockets of darkness to find my completion, my foul gorgeous toad, my vagabond? I cannot be a fawning copy of the others poised to take over the world. They walk past like shadows snickering, not giving a helping hand. I am here, I am content. A mist of drizzle falls, mixing with my smoke, the pungency of vomit, I throw up again. Beyond the trees, the fake Gothic towers of pinpricks. Professors join hands, singing in a flat repeating chorus, ignoring the sarcasm of the sky. I wanna share these insights with a fellow renegade do I see this time through the distorting prism of you? Now I'm ready to meet you. Wonderful. And I, it's just amazing to see you performing those without actually reading as well. And uh, I'm not sure if that's going to come through um, for the people who are just listening to it um, in audio. But uh, I, I want to talk a little bit, just a, a little bit, because, um, you know, I, when you memorize a poem the way you've memorized those, they sort of, I guess, become something that you can carry without having them with you. I mean, they, you know, I, I often feel when, I, when you write a book, you kind of get it done with. It's, it almost becomes something separate, an artifact. But when you memorize a problem yeah. like that, you're, you're literally carrying it around with you. And I suspect it becomes a habit even to, you know, to uh, keep reciting it as you're walking or as you're doing things, as, you, as one might with a song lyric, you know, it, it pops into your head at opportune moments. Does it have a, do these poems take on a different meaning for you, um, a different kind of value for you having memorized them? They, they do, because as you memorize them more and more, you know, they absolutely seep into your body mm -hmm. and you almost relive that, you know, the moment of transformation that was in that last poem is absolutely chillingly vivid and um and and you do kind of relive it and you own the poem even more you see rather than just at the remove of a book you're saying this is me i'm the witness from the past i'm the bard telling this story and 
remember I'm dressed in androgynous clothing. Yes. And so it is a bit like the, um, you know, I mean, the old Greek Homeric bards were dressed in androgynous clothing. So are the great characters from Shakespeare and um, all the poems like, poet, gay poets like Walt Whitman would have um, become something half feminine, half masculine while he was reciting the leaves of grass, even despite his big heavy beard, I can just imagine him doing it yes. when I'm reading, reading the poems. And, uh, and so it's um, sometimes the um, longer form bardic poets that I um, relate to and, um, and I'm more inspired by. And I do so wish that that kind of thing can come back to the theatre. I mean, Paul Capsis, who channels, um, who channels Billy Holiday, and, um, you know, um, Over the Rainbow and various other things. He, he just, somehow Billy Holiday comes into his body and he is her. He owns the song totally and that style of performance. And I was honoured by his presence at one of the performance, performances, actually, because his style of performance insp inspires me a lot. Mm. Yes, I mean, um, it, it's also, I guess every time you recite it, you know, it, that piece of performance is informed by and perhaps changed by the audience that's watching it and, you know, that, that shape that that poem takes on in the live theatre that is, you know, these little performances, I suppose, happen with every reading as well when a, a reader sits down and reads your book. It there changes. is space between the reader and the poem that is always novel. So um, you continue to define yourself in your bio and in, in almost every interaction as, as a King's Cross poet. Um, and I know that many of your poems do center around King's Cross in Sydney as a location, a place that you clearly know intimately on many levels, um, in many time, time frames as well. Um, but what draws you so deeply into the cross that you, you know, that, that even when you're writing not about the cross, in some ways, that sense of being a cross poet, you know, is, is informing the way you look at the world. I mean, there's some, you know, there's some international travel poems towards the back of the book, for example, um, that aren't set in, in King's Cross. And yet there is that sense of you, you know, you bringing that into your perception, even when you're traveling away. Um, well, look, I mean, King's Cross is a place that people often, often, it's different now because it's um, somehow a lot of the places that um, people went to almost lose themselves in this um, whole wonderful mixture of drunkenness and celebration and um, encountering new people around every corner. It's, it's not like that anymore. But if you wanted to transform yourself, as we often do, you know, in our teenage years and early 20s, we want to move and become someone stronger, more creative, more resilient, more fascinating. You only have to look around yourself to see everything that you need to know. And so that's why people go to King's Cross to transform, particularly from the suburbs, because if you... If you don't want to be in the suburbs all your life, you think, where else is there? Where else is there that, that life teems and happens? And it is King's Cross. And I found that King's Cross did transform me creatively with the people that I met there and with the people that I imagined there and with the whole matter of, um, 
of um, Juanita Nielsen and the Victoria Street story, mm. how um, unfortunately the um, property developers and gangsters won and uh, strangled it all. But for a moment, for maybe about 20 years, it was a place where people like me, lots of people like me, went to transform into something more alive, shall we say. And some of the things might be painful and there were drugs involved and drunkenness and all that kind of thing, you know, things that probably weren't all that desirable. But despite that, because of that, you could transform. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it seems to me that, and I don't, I don't particularly like binaries, but, um, you know, page and stage or, uh, or city and country or, you know, rural and, and urban. Um, but it does seem to me like um, there, there are these uh, different um, binaries that are happening in the book that you, you almost work to undermine. Um, so you, you know, you tend, it, it seems to me that um, in, in the book, you're pushing hard against this notion of what it means to be one thing or another, um, that that's a, a recurring theme in the book, the breaking down of those borders and the roles that we, and the skin that we inhabit, which is, I guess, maybe what you're talking about, you know, when the pe people go to the city and they might leave these, these kind of, um, these definitions or these constructs or these, um, these boundaries that they have grown up in that say, you know, you are this, you are one thing or another, whether, you know, whether that's gendered or whether that's just generally sexual or whether that's, you know, economic, um, those, or, you know, those who fit the cool kids or the people who are, you know, manage to find life easy and those who feel that they're always kind of other and outer and, and in some way separate, you know, it's almost as if this, the, the writing and the work and the poems push against those restrictions and celebrate the way poetry is able to break down those boundaries. Yes, yes, absolutely. Because I mean, we all feel boundaries um, and often we can be overwhelmed by those boundaries. But it's um, in meeting a remarkable person mm. or just in parallel, um, sitting in front of an absolutely vivid and gorgeous scene from nature that the boundaries of the normal breakdown and you're able to imagine something more and um, not everybody wants to make that journey but it is a binary almost like between the everyday and something a bit more intense mm. than or the everyday if you see yes. what i mean and um and Sometimes, you know, I mean, not everybody likes that. Not everybody is comfortable with these issues being talked about. And so not everybody is a fan of my poetry, but people who have had a, a time of searching and struggling for imagination and insight in their lives, I hope they relate to my poetry. Yes, well, I guess those are your readers that you're you're writing to, to a certain extent. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you've come from, you know, far away, but you um, experienced Manhattan and you've experienced many other places. And I'm sure you, you would understand 
how an extraordinary place and the extraordinary people that you meet there can oh, yes. transform you, but occasionally crush you, but also enliven you and um, enlarge your personality. And, um, in, in many yeah. ways, I felt reading your book like, you know, New York was kind of a parallel universe to, to the Sydney that you're writing about. And maybe not, you know, Sydney in its broadest sense, because Sydney is so sprawled and, you know, and often very suburban. But certainly, maybe that's what it is about King's Cross that, you know, the King's Cross you're writing about in the, you know, in the 90s, let's say, um, is very much, yeah. uh, you know, an urban space. It's the, you know, the, the bars, the nightlifes, the coffee shops. And what is it about city and coffees? There's always coffee shops, isn't there? And there's always coffee. Um, and, and these characters that, that kind of you, you um, almost meet with like, you know, matter meets matter and they, and, you know, there's this kind of sparks and then, you know, and then you dissipate and, you know, normal entropy comes in. But I feel like that's very much a city thing that I related to yeah. in the work, city to city. Well, well, there is one coffee shop where I met Marguerite, who is my collaborator and a couple of other collaborators. And you've got to remember, and I mean, you know it well yourself, that it takes a whole village to create a poetry book, not just you on your own. I mean, it's the, um, it's almost the mixed insights of everybody, you know, gathering together into these poems. And so you need to meet the people that um, build the poem, the creative life. And in some of the coffee shops and the cross, I mean, they'd go to late at night. I mean, sometimes it was just people drugged out, talking crap and things like that. But you know, often it went beyond that. <laughs> and um, you'd, um, again, your imagination would be taken new places and you'd make a small transformation. Mm. And then yet running parallel to the city theme um, is the rural one, you know, the, the nature work, which to my mind is also incredibly powerful. It's another universe perhaps, and yet oddly not dissimilar or unconnected to the rest of the work in the book. There is that nostalgia, that's that sense of, of wonder, that's a sense of observation maybe, the, the observing eye that looks at what is there before you, what won't be there in the future, what used to be there in the past and you know brings all of those things into the moment. And I'm thinking of things like, you know, the- Exactly, I mean, when yeah, I think anytime you go into nature, I mean, nature will, is beautiful and will always be beautiful. I mean, almost whatever happens, but when you see the damage being wreaked by climate change, mm. you grieve, almost like you grieve for a friend who's going through hard times. I mean, it's, um, it's because, I mean, sitting in a beautiful valley by a creek, you know, the trees, the book, the, um, the um, texture of the moss, whatever it is, takes you into a wholly different sensual space. And that gift of communion is immeasurable in, in making you a sensual person and in, and, and, and in building your imagination. But when there's drought, of course, the ferns droop yellow, the soil is black, the, um, the trees are somehow still, it's too hot. It's all sorts of things. And um, it's still beautiful, but you can see something almost passing away before your eyes until the explosion of the 2019 bushfires, mm. which was the sort of climax of that. 
And again, you look at what happened in those bushfires, and I do have a bush, couple of good bushfire piles. I'm just getting ready to ask uh, you that, so. <laughs> you want the bushfire pile? Uh, yeah, sure. I, I, I'm, I'm torn. I might get you to do two. So, um, because I, I, I really love moss, which is two, the two moss. Um, but why don't you, since you mentioned it, why don't you read after the bushfire, which is 140, if you haven't memorized it. Yeah, that's a memorized one, and moss okay. is not a memorized one, so I'll have to go to it. Twisting bars of shadows against a grand misty sky. The ground is bleached and naked except for shriveled, shriveled leaves, twigs like bones, rake from a furnace, tufts of burnt grass crunched under my boots. Still the tree stands, a husk, its pitted, furrowed trunk crumbles when I touch it black, just blackness and white ash underfoot. A thriving canopy, mottled trunks oozing with moss, tangled with fern fronds and shrubs, all wither as the air is sucked away, then blown back in a scorching bellow as the whirlpool takes hold, shattering and flashing, boiling sap, burst, leaves, budding and opening in years of slow sunlight, crackle and explode in a moment. A roar of blinding orange scowls and leaps high, hurling up particles of ash which seethe and gather into choking pools of smoke, blocking up the sun to make a smouldering dusk of midday. A stinking remnant of the forest life blows around the country, around the world. Hmm. It brings it back. Well, that's what that's what happened. And yeah. it's going to happen again, and it's going to yeah. happen more. We may be spared it this year, but it's going to happen again. And yes. it's so shattering when you see something like that happen to a place you love. Absolutely. It is shattering. Mm. Um, and, it's 146 um, I, for Moss. Oh, Moss is 146, okay. Yeah. Just to, to end on a, a positive note. <laughs> Because it comes, I mean, I don't, uh, it is absolutely shattering and, and it's almost shattering in that, that not just in and of itself, but because we know it's going to happen again. And, and because well, I mean, change because is not that, taking place the way it ought to, to prevent that. Because it's in part of poems about what I love about nature, to have a poem like that in. And that place um, near Blackheath along the Bell's Line of Road, mm -hmm. Um, was a place that I loved. And um, the towering tree is part of quite a number of poems. And the trunk still stands, but it's wrecked. It does regenerate that, but it's to, to see. I didn't see the fires mercifully, but I came, went up a couple of weeks later. And to see a scene that I really loved looking like that was shattering. Anyway, moss. This is near Blackheath too. Leaves flutter like my thoughts up in the dizzy canopy. I want to slow to a stillness in the shadows, the stump of a giant tree standing broken in the shade, flickering with sunlight, squeezing through the branches. Its bark is shrouded in moss. Distorted fingers dig into the earth, 
roots wrapped in moss like a stocking, lathered and torn with gnarls and brown splinters. Not one moss, but mosses bandaged upwards on the trunk. My eyes dig deeper to clusters of stems with minuscule leaves or a fine down of bristles magnified by sparkling droplets, tiny brushes with a seed of jade at the top, rough like fluff to the touch. Loops of rotting rug cling to furrows still pitted on the trunk, its muscular curves of roots. Tribes of mosses jostle, thicken, prosper, a sodden surface of precocious green darkening to veins of black-tinged emerald. It's only a mask, it crumples as I prod beneath, tightly wound splinters unravel to a stringy white mulch, ripped, rich in tap sap. The moss enjoys its slow banquet, feeding on splashes of sunshine as leaves flutter in the glowing canopy. Mm. What a beautiful image and uh, very powerful stuff. Um, so are you working on something? It, it really is. Yeah, it's, it's just wonderful. Piece of realism. It's almost, yes, it's almost a descriptive poem taken straight from a notebook, you know? Mm. Yeah. And that's what it's like. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So are you working on something new at the moment, Charles, or, or are you planning on more performances or what's on the horizon? Um, well, look, I've been investigating um, my family's um, you know, the, my mother's side of the family were an original settler family um, in the Sunshine Coast hinterland. And um, we went up there just to see what had happened to the land, you know, since the time of settlement and to meditate both on the life that my ancestors might have lived and what their impact on the land and the indigenous people actually was. And, um, and I mean, it's so beautiful up around Mullaney, you know, you see the unspoilt land, you see all the spiritual remnants left from 60,000 years of Aboriginal occupation, still very clearly. And yet most people up there want to forget and just build, um, I mean, there's nothing like the, parts of Queensland for build, building really vulgar, ugly mansions and blocks of flats and celebrating that and entirely forgetting what has come before, which uh, is what I'm up there to find. And so that's more nature poems and character poems because, um, you know, the Irish coming from nothing where they'd been flogged by the English, suddenly they can have all this land. Wow. And they were very strong characters when I hear about them. So it's delightful to write about them too, but with the awareness that they um, that they stole the land. And, um, and just as someone whose family's been in Australia for multi-generations, just assessing the meaning of that for me. Yeah, wonderful. It sounds and like so a that's, Yeah. <laughs> Interesting work. Um, yes. Well, look, I mean, most white Australians, especially almost white Australians who, whose family um, has been in Australia for multi-generations, can go through life willfully forgetting what has happened in this country. And there's a time 
when you've got to tear all that open and remember. Mm. And um, and it's only then that I think this country will become whole again. I mean, not it's many, many, many people going through that journey of reconciliation. Yes. And I'm trying to do my little journey to add to that. Mm. Well, wonderful. I'll look forward to reading reading the outcomes of uh, that work or the output. Yeah, yeah, there's quite a few already, and I totally interrupted by the um, by the book and by the shows and things like that. I haven't done anything on it for about three months, mm. but and and there was a lag time between the um, acceptance of the book and the publication of the book, as there is, um, which I which you're aware of and I oh, use yeah. quite well, <laughs> and um, and so and, and so that's the new one. But I still got ideas for other you know city character poems. And if it's sacred places, it's looking at sacred places around Sydney too, you know. Um, I've got ideas for that. And looking at how, you know, the ugliness of Sydney architecture has um, changed the land. And, and yet, then you reach a spot in Sydney that's so gloriously beautiful that all the energy and glory of 60,000 years almost shoots right at you and you realize that the whole spirit of um, 60,000 years of human occupation of Sydney can still come through to you and that's a joyful thing as well you know. Mm. Fantastic well that is all we have time for today but thank you so much Charles for joining me.